Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Okay, here we go. It's another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, everybody, it's David Summers, and this is the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession over 100 years ago. So now let's step back into the ring, back into time. Let's get wall to wall, tree top tall. With the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. All right, Ron, who you got in the Super Bowl coming up this Sunday? Oh, gee, man, I don't know. One of those teams is uh, the winners just about, it seems like, uh, for the last three or four or five years, man. So kind of hard. If I was a betting man, I'd have a hard time betting against them. It's hard to hard to, hard to to bet against KC. So, and I was not expecting either team was going to make it this year, either KC or the, the 49ers, but it seems like it's going to be an interesting game. Do you do you plan some kind of special food for the game? Oh, man, I don't uh, I don't uh, usually, but, uh, you know, uh, I've been doing a little bit on college game day, and uh, I get to – I get uh, maybe a little uh, snack uh, for the game, so <laughs> I'm sure I'll have to have something, man. Yeah, you don't have to pay for that at the end of the year, do you, around the midsection? Maybe a little? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I still go to the gym, thank goodness, you know. So That's I'm awesome. I'm kind of watching out for that stuff. That is awesome. All right, listen, we're, we're hearing every week now from Studcast fans around the world that the last five or so Studcasts, Maybe the best yet, and I certainly wouldn't doubt that. I can personally tell you, Ron, the new hidden history lessons every week are just really cool. And so I'm always awaiting the next one and the next studcast. So the series of lessons on problems with the boxing and wrestling commissions, I think that is really cool. So we are going to do the third one today. That's really cool, Ron. Yeah, you know, so I'm glad to hear that, Dave. <laughs> We've been receiving uh, record responses from listeners, man. I have, and uh, since discussing topics uh, that have probably been rare, if ever done before on any wrestling podcast, basically. And so these boxing and wrestling commissions uh, were the last thing that wrestling owners needed, that was for sure. And uh, they became so powerful that most promoters hesitated to confront front them at all, uh, much less try to eliminate them like uh, we've been doing in the last episode or so. In fact, we're going to be eliminating another one of them today. Wow. Okay. So I, th- I really think that's why fans are so interested in the subject 
the mere fact that one of your family members had some responsibility in their creation and you, in the last studcast, almost by yourself, killed one of them, makes the story compelling for all of us. So I really can't wait for today's lesson. Well, man, uh, you know, in today's, uh, we're going to bring in my father, uh, Edward Welch, better known as Buddy Fuller. Uh, obviously, he's a member of the second generation of Welch's, and uh, he and I are going to join forces in this one to become a real-life tag team, basically, against the Alabama Boxing and Wrestling Commission. <laughs> so why did the two of you choose to go after the Alabama Boxing and Wrestling Commission specifically? Well, my father was still involved with Jerry Jarrett and the ownership of the Memphis Territory in 1980. And uh, they ran some cities in northern Alabama. And after I put an end to the Tennessee Commission the, in the last studcast in 1978, a couple of years earlier than uh, where we are now uh, in 1980 in this studcast today. So they were enjoying basically... Uh, because I had uh, done in the Tennessee Commission, they were enjoying the absence and the a lack of aggravation that came from having a commission to have to deal with. Plus, they didn't mind the additional profit that we gained by killing the 10% commission fee, which is an outrageous amount of money. <laughs> so then the state of Alabama still had their own commission at this point, based in large part, 1980 we're talking about, upon the template that my grandfather Roy had used to develop the Tennessee Commission. Now, although the Memphis Territory ran just a small piece of the state of Alabama, our southeastern territory contained three major markets. And uh, that's, uh, you know, that's what we're going to talk about in uh, each of these uh, studcasts. Uh, we've been talking about them all the time. Those three markets are Mobile, Montgomery, and Dothan. So in 1980, our southeastern territory was negotiating with Nick Goulas, Roy's former Tennessee partner. Mm -hmm. We wanted to buy from Nick Huntsville and Birmingham, Alabama. Nick was uh, had grown older like Roy. He was trying to sell all of his wrestling holdings, and we were interested in getting our hands on Birmingham especially, mm -hmm. which was the state's largest city, and it was traditionally the best wrestling city in the state. But uh, that kind of was changing a little bit now because Mobile was starting to rival Birmingham for uh, being a great wrestling market. Oh, uh, yeah. You've been talking about that week to week now. So, all right. So, if you got those two cities added to everything else you were running in Alabama, you would you would basically have the entire state. Getting rid of the Alabama Boxing Wrestling Commission would make it a lot more, a lot more sensible after that purchase. You said last stud cast that you were able to get rid of the Alabama Commission in a very different way than you did the one in Tennessee. What was the difference? Well, man, it was totally different. Uh, so so my father and I, you know, he's, he's running some towns in Alabama. And, you know, we agreed that, uh, you know, in looking at this, that there's a potential way to eliminate all of the rest of the boxing and the wrestling commissions, actually in the entire country. And uh, might be able to do it in the same way. Uh, legally, in the court, uh, you could go in there and make the case that because these taxes were on just two sports, boxing and wrestling, and no other professional sports in the state, that was a discriminatory tax against only boxing and wrestling. That obviously would make it illegal. All right, so that does make a lot of sense, but why would it be 
legal to tax just two sports and allow all the other professional sports to not be taxed. So what did you do next? So, you know, to us, it made a lot of sense. Well, at the end of 1980, we had completed the deal to purchase most of the rest of Alabama from Nick Goulas. My father and I, we hired a group of Alabama attorneys to abolish the Alabama tax on boxing and wrestling. That was the task we gave them. That was what they were basically said they were going to do. And obviously, they were going to use the case that it was a discriminatory tax against only two sports rather than all sports. Hmm. All right. So what happened with that? Well, in early 1982, uh, we, we got this started in 1980. It took us the two years in court. We won the case. <laughs> so the Alabama state tax on boxing and wrestling was abolished, and the Alabama Boxing and Wrestling Commission was obviously no longer needed in the state. <laughs> wow. So you got that done. Congratulations, stud. Well, I wish, man. Not so fast, I guess I got to <laughs> say, Dave. But the commission and the state, they appealed the decision to a higher court. And for most of 1983, we didn't have to pay any tax or commission. But by the end of 1983, the court, the higher court came back and reversed the decision and the state law and commission was reinstated. <laughs> Are you serious? How could that law be legal? I mean, I don't know. All right. But you said you killed the Alabama. You, you said you killed the boxing and wrestling commission and tax. So now it's back in. So what happened next? How did you then did you kill it later again? Yes, man. And, and this is crazy. I mean, uh, I told you this is totally different than the way the Tennessee Athletic Commission got knocked out. Uh, so one of my ticket sellers, once we got hold of Birmingham, uh, there was a lady that sold tickets for us uh, every Monday night in Birmingham. And uh, she was married to an Alabama state representative. Uh, and she was the lady that every Monday night was in charge of handling, paying out people. And and one of those entities that she was dealing with was uh, the Boxing and Wrestling Commissioner. It would come by. Now the her Boxing Commission was back in at this point and pick up the 10% of the gross house. So this lady understood perfectly all that we had been going through. She knew about the court case. She knew about us winning it, knew about it being overturned. And uh, she was really upset with the reversal of the uh, state and in the court. And, uh, and she told her husband about it. So uh, he, too, kind of saw the obvious discrimination of the tax and how wrong it was. And so he, he got in touch with me and he, we sat down and he, we put together a plan basically to secretly get rid of the tax and the commission both. And what we were going to do, because he was in the state capitol and a state representative, uh, we had a plan to kill both of those entities at the same time, this time by passing a law in the state capitol that eliminated them. Mm. So I spent two weeks in Montgomery with my new friend, and uh, this guy was a great guy. Uh, and he, we were secretly meeting with politicians, guys that were on the Capitol Hill with him. And, uh, 
I was, uh, you know, shaking hands and discussing the discrimination of the tax and what had happened in the court case and uh, the building support for the new law, trying to build support for this law that he had written up the law and uh, to abolish the tax forever, basically. So without any of the commissioners and the lawyers that had won the case to reinstate the old law, even knowing what was going on, the state legislature of Alabama was voting on and they passed the law that abolished the discriminatory tax levied upon boxing and wrestling. <laughs> it just seems like it gets better and better. You were back at a state capitol again, this time in Alabama, Montgomery, of course. And this time you helped get a law passed that eliminated the tax and the commission forever. So, okay, congratulations again, Ron. <laughs> I wished I would, Dave, but uh, not so fast again, I got to say. <laughs> what? You know, <laughs> it, it, the law was passed, but, but to me, it, it wasn't done yet. Uh, and I was very concerned that there was still one man that could veto this. And if that happened, it would bring it all back to having a tax and a commission again. And that man was the governor of Alabama, George Wallace. Yep. And uh, George had ran for president in 1968. He got shot. Uh, he was paralyzed from the waist down, been that way for many years at this point. Uh, I needed to see him. Okay, so I thought there was no way you could top all this, but I, I guess I was wrong. So now you are going to see the four-time governor of the great state of Alabama, George Wallace. So what were you thinking that you could just walk in the door of the governor's office and get something done. So how are you going to get in to see him? Well, <laughs> this is crazy, Dave, but I, I kind of had an ace in the hole. And because uh, one of the owners of the Southeastern Gulf Coast Territory with me and his father had been friends with George Wallace since the early 1970s. Hmm. That partner, Jimmy Golden, and his father named Bill. And they ran a territory based out of Montgomery, Alabama for years in the early 1970s. So they were obviously on Montgomery TV's television station every week. And uh, wrestling was pretty popular back in those days. Mm -hmm. So uh, Jimmy and his father uh, had met with uh, George on several occasions. So luckily it turned out George Wallace was a current wrestling fan in 1980. This is years later. <laughs> Well, it's well, like uh, 10 years later, right? And uh, so Jimmy finally uh, gets uh, connected with uh, with Governor Wallace, and uh, and we he was willing to meet with him, and he also turned out to watch wrestling a lot. And he said, you know, I'd like to meet that Ron Fuller of the Tennessee Studs. <laughs> so I get invited, thank goodness, uh, to this meeting. Okay, I'm curious now because there's some really cool places around Montgomery. So where did you have this meeting? Well, ma'am, we we went right to the governor's office, man, at the oh. capital of Montgomery. <laughs> man. And, and when we went in, you know, he was in his wheelchair behind his desk. And the, and the first thing he said to us was, uh, you know, obviously he understood this probably better than anybody at this point. He, he said, gosh, I can't believe how healthy and blessed you guys are to be athletes and look at you. You're healthy and you walk around and get around, you know. And uh, so we had some small talk 
for a few minutes, and uh, then he you know, kind of got around. And he said, hey, you know, what can I do for you, for you guys? Right? I mean, obviously, we wanted to meet with him. And I'm sure governors, they were accustomed to that type of thing. So I quickly laid out what had happened to us as wrestling promoters and owners in, in the state for years at this point. And I uh, talked to him about the discriminatory, discriminatory tax that we'd been paying for years against only two professional sports when there were other special sports in the state that remained untaxed. And then in the court case that we had won to abolish that tax, had been overturned by the influence, basically, of the Alabama Boxing and Wrestling Commission. They didn't like the fact they were going to get killed. They wanted to continue to do what they were doing. And uh, they were kind of running their business, kind of like the Tennessee uh, the people had done in their commission there. So it was basically the first time he had even heard of an Alabama Boxing and Wrestling Commission. And then I explained to him uh, what the Boxing and Wrestling Commission was and uh why it had been created years earlier. Basically, it was for the same reason that uh, Roy had created in Tennessee. Uh, Jimmy and his father wanted to uh, control wrestling in the Montgomery area and that part of Alabama. So I explained that the commission was responsible for the collection of the 10, this 10% gross tax on each of the live events now. And I further explained how that commission was likely being handled very much like the same Boxing and Wrestling Commission in Tennessee. Then I kind of explained that uh, I had been responsible for, partially responsible for uh, them abolishing that tax and that commission in Tennessee mm -hmm. uh, due to the Sunshine Committee, which was there in 1978. Mm -hmm. He was a little bit familiar with that because I think Alabama had the same type of deal in 1978. So, uh, he was generally disturbed by what was happening to us, you know, uh, from members of the commission, you know, and he'd never heard of it either. So he asked if we had tried to have something done about it in the state legislature. And then I told him that that was why we were here. I told him, well, you know, we'd already done that and we were already successful in getting the tax to, to get this bill passed that eliminated the commission and the discriminatory tax. Well, he was like, he was like, wow. He goes, I didn't even know about that yet. He goes, geez, you got that done? I said, yes, it's, it's, it's been passed. And uh, so then, you know, he said, uh, it looked like, he said, well, it looks like to me you've taken care of your problem here, you know. Said, uh, so what more could I do for you? What can I do for you now? So, so I was very honest with him, you know. So I said, uh, hopefully, I said, you can support our efforts. So on what the legislature had already passed, and, uh, and then hopefully you can uh, don't allow this commission to get back involved and to do what they did in the courts and to come back, come in the back door, basically, and uh, to get your veto here somehow on what has already been passed. So uh, he said, you know, uh, basically, uh, he said, I don't think you boys are going to have any more trouble ever with this boxing and wrestling commission. Wow. <laughs> All right, so it sounds like a pretty good meeting. How, how did it end? Well, it ended a little like my grandfather, Roy. You know, I mean, Roy had, for those years, you know, have been uh, supporting these governors and making contributions and all that stuff. Uh, and, uh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there I am, you know, and, they, and I know what's, what the deal is. And mm -hmm. so uh, 
you know, I kind of handled this part of it a little bit like my granddad. So it was an election year. Here it comes. So, okay. So I handed him a campaign contribution from Southeastern Wrestling. I gave him a check for $5,000 campaign contribution. And uh, that was the last time Dave ever saw George Wallace. And, uh, and, I, and that was the last time I ever heard from the Boxing and Wrestling Commission. <laughs> All right. Uh, George Wallace is, was just a, a legendary character in, in, in this state, no doubt. Just a legendary figure. All right, I thought I heard all of your stories, Stud, but this is, and, and by the way, that did sound like your grandfather. I've heard those stories before, too. This is definitely one of the best stories I've ever heard from you. I have to say it again. I mean, it's a remarkable life you've lived. Last week, you were talking about hanging out with Governor Ronald Reagan, and this week, Governor George Wallace. So is this the last of the Boxing and Wrestling Commission story, Stud? Well, uh, no, Dave. Uh, uh, next week, man, is going to be the last one. You know, and, and I have to say about this one next week that this one may, the one next week is probably going to be the best of all these stories about Boxing and Wrestling Commissions. Uh, next week, we're going to take a deep dive, man, into how Vince McMahon Jr. handled his boxing and wrestling commission problem. Hmm. And, uh, and to be, you know, by being the first promoter in history to throw professional wrestling under the bus. Is how he handled it. <laughs> All right. Are you kidding, Ryan? I mean, I've heard very little about that. You're messing with me, right? So I'd like to hear that lesson right now, but we got a long ride ahead of us. Before the break, tell us about the card, and let's get that set up for Mobile Tuesday, February 5th, 1980. How about that? Okay, my man. You know, uh, and it, was an area, it was another great card, man. The opening match was Eddie Boulder versus the great Don Fargo, man. The second talent in a row uh, came right along behind Don Carson a week later, basically. Uh, being the first of these, these two guys, uh, great guys, both talented. And we had basically confiscated these guys from the small little uh, competing wrestling company in the Pensacola area at that time called Tri-State Tri Wrestling. Kind of back like the uh, suggestion that I made to Jim Barnett when he bought uh, uh, Knoxville from me to he should go and get a couple of stars out of the other company. So, uh, uh, the crew and uh, bring them into his crew and uh, be able to uh, maybe uh, kill that uh, opposition. So basically, that's basically what we had done here at this point. We took Don Carson, not Don Fargo, came the next week. And uh, so in the second match on this card, on the fifth, was uh, Terry Orndorff against uh, Big Bill Dromo. Tony Charles was going to be wrestling the Big C. Uh, wrestling pro was going up against Randy Rose, the man who had been after him for a long time at this point and who the pro had recently unmasked. And uh, they were going to be finally meeting in, a, in something that was going to settle all of this feud for sure. Hmm. And uh, it was going to be a loser leave match uh, between the two of them. Uh, for the Southeastern Tag Championship, the champions, Robert and I, were defending the belts again against Jimmy Golden and Norvell Austin. This time we were going to be in a Texas Tornado tag match, which meant all four of us were going to be in the ring at the same time. It was going to be for the championship. Wow. Main event was for the Southeastern Heavyweight Championship. 
the new champion Mongolian Stomper, managed by Don Carson, was going to be against the former champion Joe Duke. They were going to be in a Canadian lumberjack match. And that was the type of match where wrestlers all had belts. They went to the ring uh, for the match. They surrounded the ring. They had belts that, that they could use out of their pants. They would pull the belts out of their pants or whatever type of belt they wanted to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would surround the ring. And uh, when, the, when one of the guys decided he wanted to get out of the ring, uh, they would whip him until he got back in the ring. Okay, that's a great card, no doubt. Another star, Don Fargo, joins the crew. A loser leaves match. We'll see the end of the Wrestling Pro and the Randy Rose feud. You said a Texas Tornado tag match with all four men in the ring and the Southeastern title at stake in a pretty rare Canadian lumberjack match. All right, so let's take the break when we come back. You can tell us about the TV show that set it all up. This Studcast will continue in a moment right here. You know, Studcast fans already know that Studcasts have always been special and listened to by fans all over the world. But they're now more popular than ever. Don't miss next week's Studcast, number 337, when Ron finishes his great hidden history series on boxing and wrestling commissions. This last one features the most controversial decision ever made to deal with boxing and wrestling commissions. That decision was made by Vince McMahon Jr., the greedy man that had already destroyed professional wrestling as it had been for more than 80 years, topped that by admitting wrestling was not real, simply to avoid paying the state tax being charged on his matches around the country by the boxing and wrestling commissions still there. So it's going to be a great one. Don't miss the studs take on this amazing subject. All right, Studcast fans, welcome back into the second half of another Studcast. This one is called episode number 336, by the way. Pro Rose Loser Leaves Second Commissioner Gone. All right, so let's let's get started on the second half with the TV to promote the card you told us about just moments ago that would be in all three major cities that you told us about right before the break. Set all that up for us, Stud. Okay, so it basically opened with Charlie Platt at the set, and uh, he was making a special announcement right off of the bat uh, as soon as the show opened up that uh, February was going to be a championship month on TV. It was going to have a championship match every Saturday in the entire month. And uh, so that got a huge response, obviously, from the fans. And then he got an even bigger one when he announced that the first one, this first match today, uh, because this was the first Saturday in February of 1980, was going to be uh, for the Southeastern Tag Belts with me and Robert defending the title on television. So uh, then he invited Joe LaDuke to the set. So uh, Joe at this point uh, had lost the belts uh, the, uh, on the Wednesday night prior to this with uh, Don Carson, got involved in the match, and uh, and Stomper ended up with the Southeastern Championship again. So Joe came to the set. He hadn't, he didn't have the belt, uh, but he was there because he was going to watch uh, the match from Mobile four days earlier. It was going to show the reason why he lost the belt. So Charlie explained that the Mongolian Stomper had lost his manager, the great Mephisto, the week before in the Loser Leaves match, which was actually two weeks before, uh, against uh, Char- Tony Charles, had beaten Mephisto. Mephisto had to leave the territory. Uh, 
and that on this night, uh, when uh, Stomper came to the ring, everybody was expecting he's going to come to the ring alone by himself. And instead, Stomper surprised everybody. Uh, when he came to the ring, he had a brand new manager, Don Carson. So Joe told fans, you know, he said, I'm very familiar with Don Carson. He goes, I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of run-ins with him. And he managed the Mongolian Stomper in Tennessee years ago uh, before the George George Jr. took over the Mongolian Stomper. And he goes, I'm very familiar with Don Carson and know exactly who he is and, uh, and what he's about. So uh, before the video started, Joe explained, you know, uh, to his regret, he said that Don Carson was now obviously in charge of the Mongolian monster. He changed his name. He started to call him the Mongolian monster instead of the stone. <laughs> and then uh, he said, uh, Joe told Charlie, you know, he thought that all of the managers of all the managers that the Stomper had had that he was aware of, Gorgeous George Jr., the great Mephisto, and now Don Carson again. He said, Carson is by far, I think, the most dangerous of the three. And he goes, uh, you know, that, that's basically why I lost the belt. The very first night that Carson showed up as the Stompers Monsters, as the Mongolian Monsters manager, he called it. So uh, Charlie asked the director to run the video. And everyone was going to see how Joe lost the, the championship. And when the video began, the bell had just rang, and the Mobile fans were about to get their first look at Don Carson wearing a suit, coming to the ring with the Mongolian Stomper. And uh, so, boy, that building, Expo, was always packed at this point. Expo Hall and Mobile, and wow, did they boo. And they did not like seeing Don Carson there again. So Joe said, you know, he was surprised by the fans' reaction because he, he told he, he was very honest. He said, I don't know anything about Don Carson's history down here. He goes, I know what he was like in Tennessee, but I never knew he was even here before. But he said when he came to the ring and that crowd erupted and, and booze like that, he goes, I got to thinking, man, I don't know everything I ought to about this guy, you know. And uh, he says, uh, this ain't going to be good for me or the fans, it doesn't seem like. So then the video jumped uh, from there to the last few minutes of the match. And the action in the ring was so wild at that point that a second referee had come down to the ring to help the first referee. And the video showed Carson about to get in the ring uh, at this point. And Rob and I were back there watching the match. Uh, we knew Carson's history. Plus, we wanted to see this match. I love to watch these matches between Stomper and and uh, and, uh, and Joe because mm -hmm. they were, oh, wild ways wild. And, uh, yeah. So uh, Rob and I see Carson headed like he's going to go in the ring, and we went down to the ring. Well, by the time we got there, here came Golden and Austin, who had, and uh, Norvell. They had gone to the dressing room to avoid getting beat earlier. So, uh, you know, uh, they came down to the ring. And when they did, we got into it. Uh, Rob and I against uh, Golden and Austin. There's a match going on in the ring. So the second referee that had got in the ring to help the first one out now got out of the ring because he's trying to stop us from fighting. 
Then Eddie Boulder came to the ring. Then Roy Lee Welch came to the ring. Then Terry Orndorff came. Big Bill Dromo came to the ring. All of them showed up about the same time, and they started right into the fight that was already going on out on the floor. So at this point, first referee is still in the ring, Stomper and Jola Duke. And uh, so the referee's trying to pull Stomper off of Jola Duke. And uh, all this is on the video. People can see it all. Uh, Joe drew everybody's attention, uh, you know, to Don Carson at this point, saying, you know, this is basically where Carson is going to steal my belt. So it showed Don Carson jumping the ring at this point. Now the referee's trying to pull Stomper off. He doesn't see Carson. Carson reaches in the back of his suit, his suit coat, uh, underneath his suit coat, and pulls out his black glove that uh, Big C has been wearing. Right? And he puts it on his hand, and he, he loads it up, and he hits Joe with it and jumps out of the ring. Neither of the two referees even see him ever get in the ring at all. Uh, Stomper then walks over, basically, and covers Joe LaDuke, and the first referee counted him out, and, and all hell was breaking loose on the outside of the ring. So Joe asked him to stop the video. You know, he says, hey, that, that's enough. Uh, we've seen what happened here. And then he, he apologized to the fans, you know, he's, about having lost the belt. He goes, I was only champion for one week. I'm so sorry, you know, but, uh, you know, he, he goes, uh, you know, uh, but I, I got to thank. There's something good has come out of this. He goes, I, I thank Don Curtis. He said, I asked Don Curtis if I could have a return championship match because of the way I lost this one. And uh, I asked him if I could tell him what type of match I wanted. And he said, uh, and he agreed to it. So he stood up in his chair. <laughs> you know, he didn't say what kind of match it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he started taking the belt out of his pants while, uh, while he's talking to Charlie. <laughs> and he says, you know, he says, Charlie, since all those wrestlers, we're down at the ring, you know, uh, he's talking about what they just showed. And he said, when I lost my championship, fighting each other, he says, they're going to be back again in this special match that I've asked for. And he said, this time, he goes, they're going to come back with belts. And he says, it's going to be uh, just like me uh, right now, uh, just like we used to do it back in the day in the old lumberjack camps in Canada. He said, uh, you know, when guys, two guys got into it, uh, they would create a circle around the guys. They would take off their belts. And when somebody tried to leave that circle because he didn't want to get beat any worse while he was in the circle, he goes, they're going to take those belts to him until he comes back <laughs> into the ring. And he goes, uh, and that's going to give me a chance. Then uh, Charlie, uh, you know, uh, to, to take care of business. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's taking his belt off as he's saying all this. When he got to the end of it, he rears back and he slangs that belt across the desk right by Charlie. And it just, it sounded like a gun went off. <laughs> Charlie almost fell out of his seat. And uh, then Joe continued and he said, we're going to have a Canadian lumberjack match for the Southeastern belt. And he goes, uh, there's going to be no place for the stomper to run and, or Don Carson to hide his black glove. And he goes, next week, he goes, I promise all you fans, I'm going to be back with my Southeastern belt. 
studio crowd popped as Joe went from the ring, you know, uh, went straight into the ring. He was in the first match. <laughs> I can see Charlie Platt. <laughs> I can just see him jumping when that belt popped. I, I jumped just hearing about it. All right. So what a great start to the show on TV. So what about the next TV match? Well, LaDuke uh, went in in the ring, and uh, he still had the belt with him, and he just laid the belt across the top of the turnbuckle in the corner, in the corner of the ring. They introduced him and his opponent, and uh, they rang the bell, and it didn't take long for Joe to take care of whoever his opponent was. But uh, he f- had this guy finished. He had him in his bear hug. But he had his back to the Heels TV dressing room when he, when he had him in the bear hug. And all of a sudden, out of the dressing room, the stomper darted, man. And uh, he, he went into the ring, straight into the ring. He had his he had uh, no shirt on. He actually had his wrestling gear on. And he just darted up into the ring and uh, headed toward Joe. And uh, for the studio crowd, they let Joe know he was coming, basically, right away. As soon as they saw him come out of the dressing room and get to the ring, they let Joe know something's happening behind you. So Joe reached over and he grabbed that belt that was laying on the top of the turnbuckle. Uh, Stomper uh, saw him grab the belt and he made a run for it, but he didn't get there. Uh, Joe got him across the back and, uh, with a with that thing before he could get onto the floor. Uh, the crowd popped, man, and uh, so did that belt on Joe on the Stomper's back. And uh, so Carson came running from the dressing room. He had a towel. He threw a towel over the car, over the stomper's back, and uh, he get, rushed him into the dressing room. And so Joe stood there in the ring, man, swinging that belt around over his head, celebrating with the fans. They were going crazy. Wow! All right, so literally two pops in that first TV segment. All right, what about next? What was next? Well, someone fans had not seen for a long time was next, man. And uh, he got the same kind of reception that Don Carson got in Mobile days earlier in that first video. Uh, uh, They didn't like him, man, any more than they liked Don Carson. And that was Don Fargo. Fabulous Don Fargo. Uh, He got booed almost out of the studio, man. I mean, and uh, Fargo was the type of guy he loved that. You know, it just made him... Want to be vicious, right? He, mm-hmm. he wanted to make them scream louder. So, you know, he wanted to make them even madder. So, in the mm-hmm. end of the, his match, he put a guy in, in the Boston crap, which is a very, very devastatingly painful and hold. And uh, then uh, he, the, the guy gave up right away, but he wouldn't let him up. And uh, he forced the referee to have to pull him out of the hole. And, uh, Long after the opponent had given up, you know, he should have gotten disqualified, but he didn't. Mm. All right. So take us to the personality profile. What was that like? Well, we had to prepare for this one before anybody arrived in the studio uh, because of who was going to be on it. So we moved that profile set, which was always sitting right next to the bleachers, across the studio on the far wall, uh, far away from the studio art. And uh, Charlie, Charlie introduced the two men on the profile, and boy, they got the, the loudest booze probably of the day so far, and and uh, one of the loudest I'd ever heard in that studio up, up to that point. Uh, 
Don Carson uh, was dressed in a suit and the Mongolian stomper had on warm-up pants, uh, no top on at this point, and, uh, and he was wearing the Southeastern belt that he had just won. So Carson waved at the fans in the bleachers right off as if he was enjoying his reception. <laughs> you know? and, and the first words out of his mouth to Charlie was, uh, boy, they really love me here, don't they, Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> so from there on, man, it was all patting Don Carson on the back. And it, even if it was him that was having to do the patting, I mean, he bragged about his first night and how he had led the stomper to victory, man. And, and now he was the Southeastern champion and, and he, they were back together again. They hadn't been together as a team in a long, long time in years. And this belt was never going to belong to anybody. It went on and on and on uh, as only Carson could do. And so obviously he was so pompous, man. He, he took all the credit for Stomper's victories, man. Uh, did all the titles he wanted to tell the Stomper had won when he had him before. It was just a, it was a, a heyday for Carson. So Charlie asked him, you know, he said, uh, you know, uh, was it not the, you, this new wrestler? You, what do you know, he said, basically, about this new wrestler that's called Big C, that, uh, you know, that wears a black glove, just like the one that you used in the in this first video that we watched today, Don Carson. He goes, uh, what can you tell us about him? Uh, and uh, his, his, why is it uh, that, uh, that he has a black glove, uh, the same one that you got somehow your hands on? And, uh, and uh, so Carson said, well, you know, there's no, com I'm not similar to this guy in any way, whatsoever, in any way at all. Yeah. How, what are you trying to do here, Charlie Platt? You know, you, you're trying to cause me a problem. Uh, so, you know, uh, so from then on the studio crowd, they, they booed everything he said, basically. Several times the stomper put his hands over his ears to kind of get relief from the noise. So obviously that made when he did that, fans were booing him even louder. So at the end of the profile, Don got pretty angry saying that, you know, the Southeastern commissioner, he goes, you know, Charlie, you brought up this first the segment up here in the show. He goes, uh, uh, how, how, how come uh, Don Curtis allowed Joe LaDuke to pick the kind of title match that he wanted with my stomper? And he goes, uh, this this type of match, these Canadian lumberjack matches are very cruel, you know. And uh, and he asked the stomper. He says he said I'm going to show you what I'm talking about to prove it, Charlie Platt. And he told the stomper. He said turn around. And uh, when he did, and and he said uh, you know I he said I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove you, uh, Charlie, uh, how bad these matches are. So he told Tom Stomper to turn around. And when he did, man. Stomper turned around. There was a gasp from the studio crowd, man. There was a red bruised mark, the width of Joe Duke's belt, all the way across the Stomper's back. It was obvious, uh, you know, that Joe, it was from Joe hitting him mm -hmm. earlier in the show. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and so, you know, then Carson said, you know, it, it's, it's terrible what can happen to what these uh, lumberjack matches can do to a human body. So then Carson said, you know, this type of match, he said it should be outlawed in wrestling. He goes, uh, 
It only comes, the only reason we got this match is because it comes from Canada. And he said, Canadians are nothing but animals up there, you know. He goes, this is ridiculous. (laughs) So the studio crowd booed him until until Charlie asked him. Uh, He said, uh, you know, he says, uh, can you imagine, uh," he says to Charlie, he says, uh, you know, Charlie, he goes, can you imagine what something like that, uh, that thing on the on my stomper's back, mm-hmm. would look like across my back? <laughs> well, boy, the studio popped in. <laughs> they loved that line. Oh, they were all into that. So he screamed, Carson screamed for him to shut up, and Charlie jumped up from the set, and uh, they closed the profile. <laughs> oh, man. Don Carson was always going to make it exciting no matter what. It didn't matter if you liked him or hated him. Okay, so a totally different profile than what we had been having, but just as good. I got to say that. All right, so what about the third segment of the TV show? Well, the wrestling pro came to the set, and uh, he was going to watch what had happened in Dothan, Alabama. Uh, That ruined his last chance. He made the point. You know, I always loved, he told uh, Charlie, he said, I always wanted to win that United States Junior Heavyweight Championship belt. And he goes, I had, this was my last chance to win it. I had these three matches with Tony Charles Ford. And uh, and he said, uh, Tony and I wrestled two 45-minute time limit draws, one in Montgomery and one in Mobile. And he goes, and then... This video is going to show what happened in the third one. So uh, then uh, as they started the video, uh, it was a completely different finish than a, than a 45-minute Broadway, obviously. So it was, a, But it was just as good and clean match. They showed a portion of it in the, fir- in the first part. Wow, it was two guys that were great wrestlers that were shaking hands. And uh, wow, beautiful match, beautiful wrestling match. Until Tony Charles, in, the, in this this video here, uh, he tries to leapfrog uh, the pro, the wrestling pro, and he comes down uh, on his on uh, kind of awkwardly on his right knee. And uh, when he did, his his leg folded up underneath it. Uh. So the pro was went to Charles, and he was very concerned about. It. He was trying to basically help him up. You know, uh, he was hoping that he d- didn't get hurt really, really bad. And all of a sudden, Randy Rose, man, who was still in his wrestling tights, he had been in the match right before their match with Roy Lee Welch, uh, and he came running from the dressing room, and he slid into the ring. Uh, He was behind the pro, and he hit him back of the head, and the pro went down hard, and uh, Randy Rose uh, jerked up Tony Charles, who was still trying to get up on his feet, and he just threw him over the top rope onto the concrete, then he grabbed the referee, and he threw the referee over the top rope on top of Tony. And then uh, Rose took something out of his tights, and he started hitting the pro uh, in the head with it. And so soon the pro was bleeding. Uh, you could see it, you know, anytime he bled, you could see it through his white mask real plainly. And Rose began to try to then take his mask off. And he almost had it off uh, when the ref and uh, Tony Charles kind of made their way back up into the ring. And uh, so Rose had to exit. Uh, and when he did, the police, thank goodness, went down there because fans really loved the pro man. They were there. They were coming to get him. And uh, so the police were there. He kind of jumped in between them all. And uh, they escorted him back to the dressing room. So seeing this for the first time, you know, it, it, 
Pro had not seen the match back, you know, it, he got really mad again, you know. And the pro was a, you know, he was a man of few words, you know. And he, he told Charlie and the fans, he said uh, he, that he had demanded and he had been granted a loser leave Southeastern match with this punk Randy Rose. He said, I've had enough. It's time to end it. And he said, if any of you fans out there, if y'all are into this guy, if you like this guy, if you ever want to see this guy again, he said, you better come to the matches next week because he's going to be gone and gone for good right now. <laughs> and he got up and left the set. It was ended to a standing ovation as always. The wrestling pro really was a man of few words, Ron. And I don't think I ever saw him lose a loser leaves match. So who was in the third TV match? Uh, Randy Rose. And uh, boy, did he get a nasty reception. I mean, uh, Tina, you know, uh, led, left the studio uh, just as angry uh, as they were before the match started. Uh, the studio was screaming and booing him uh, when he got there, and, uh, and uh, they were screaming and angry when he left. And while he had this move, uh, Rose was really, really getting a heck of a finish uh, with these clotheslines, with guys off the ropes. He'd shoot them in the ropes, and then he'd catch them one way or another, sometimes across the throat with a forearm, sometimes with a chop. Wow. Uh, but uh, in this particular match, he caught this guy with a tremendous clothesline uh, on, on the throat, uh, with his, uh, basically with his, his, the, his, his inner part of his arm, his forearm. And it looked yeah. like it took the guy's head off. Wow. He was really, really an awesome looking move. And, uh, and that's how he finished that guy. Wow. Okay. I think I know who was in the last match on the TV show. You and Robert defending the Southeastern tag belts on TV, the first of four title matches that month on TV, right? Right. I mean, yeah, Charlie had announced it basically at the beginning of the show that uh, we and we were going to be defending our belts. And uh, so, uh, you know, uh, and he also made that announcement, uh, you know, we're in the month of February and uh, and every week we're going to have a championship match. And so uh, Rob and I were defending our match, uh, our belts against uh, two mass men, uh, the Inferno and Big C. So, uh, <laughs> you know. That uh, to that should be a great match. Uh, you know, those were two great wrestlers. Oh, no doubt. Okay, I get it. it. It was it was TV rating period month, and time to build audiences. And this kind of match is absolutely going to do that. So your opponents were both top wrestlers. In fact, wasn't this Big C's first time on TV, and he was wearing the black glove? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was his first time on TV, yes. Uh -huh. So this was the first chance for those people that had never been to the arena to see the big C wrestle. Uh, so, uh, and, uh, you know, there he came with the <laughs> same black glove that Carson was famous for. Hmm. So, uh, and yes, it was his first time on TV. He had the black glove. And uh, like I said, it was a great match, man. Uh, uh, two top guys against us, basically. And uh, it was the kind of match that built ratings, man. So we had the studio audience going crazy at the end of it. And uh, and at that point, uh, we were about to get to hold of Big C. 
And what do you think he does? Uh, he leaves the, he leaves his partner alone with us, and he goes to the dressing room. So uh, I beat the big I beat uh, the inferno with the fuller leg lock uh, right in the middle of the ring. Wow. All right, so did the TV audience seem to know who the big C was wearing that black glove? Don Carson? I mean, it it had made him so famous wearing the black glove, so there surely was no doubt about that, right? (laughs) They certainly did. They they definitely knew that was Don Carson, right? From the very beginning of the match and from the very first time they saw this guy get in the ring. Carson, not too many guys look like Carson. And very few of them wrestled in the same style. So, uh, mm-hmm. and the fact that he was going to be wearing a mask and wearing a black glove and calling him <laughs> and himself right. Big C rather than rather than who he really was, that made the fans even hate him more. It was like you know he, he it was like he was trying to fool them, but they were it wasn't fooling anybody, man. So uh, it was a uh, it was really a a different type of thing that we had never done before where you got a manager and you, he's going to wrestle as a different person entirely. Uh, it was a, it was something that uh, Rob and I had come up with. We wanted to see how this was going to work. Cool. All right. A quick footnote on Don Carson. I saw him wrestle many times. How tall he called himself big C. That's why I'm bringing this up. How tall, what was he like? Maybe six, two or something. Yeah, he was about, he might have been closer to six, uh, six, four, you know, he wow. was pretty tall, Don was. Okay. I didn't realize that. All right. Awesome TV show with another championship match coming up on the next one. So how about the result of the matches the following week? Well, Don Fargo got his first big Southeastern win over a wrestler that's very popular at this point, Eddie Boulder. Uh, he was very well liked, uh, and uh, he had he was beginning to make a little name for himself at this point, Eddie Boulder. Uh, Big Bill Dromo beat Terry Orndorff. Uh, Tony Charles was still having trouble with his knee that he had injured against the pro the week before, and uh, so he was he was in the match with the Big C, and uh, he was actually forced to leave the ring because uh, Big C loaded his glove and uh, and hit him in the knee with his loaded glove. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Big C's going to get some heat. There ain't in doubt about that. Uh, so in the Southeastern uh, tag, Texas Tornado Tag Match uh, for the championship, it had all four of us in the ring at the same time, Jimmy Golden, Norvell Austin, me and Rob. And uh, Golden and Austin, through the entirety of this match, kept leaving the ring, leave the ring. Every time we'd go after them, they'd leave the ring, they'd leave the ring. Then uh, finally on the end, we got them really going about to beat them, and they left the ring for good. They just went to the straight to the dressing room. Without getting beat, uh, they basically got themselves counted out, and obviously we kept our belts. Uh, then in the loser leaves Southeastern match between the wrestling pro and Randy Rose, wow, what a what a nasty match that was. It looked kind of like a Joe LaDuke and my. Mongolian stomper thing, man. It was a very bloody match, and uh, hmm. Randy Rose got the pin. They wow. used a foreign object, and they knocked uh, the pro unconscious, and uh, he beat the pro in a loser leave. Wow. Then the Canadian Lumberjack match, the Southeastern Championship match, champion Mongolian stomper managed by Don Carson 
against Joe Ledoux, this match had to be stopped. And uh, it was absolutely wild. It's a, it's a Canadian lumberjack match. So there's 12 guys out there, all of them with belts surrounding the ring. And, uh, you know, they were, uh, and they weren't just whipping uh, Joe LaDuke and the Mongolian Stomper back into the ring. Uh, but before it was over, they, we were all whipping each other. I mean, it was on all over the building. I mean, you know, one guy would get to chasing another one with a belt and they'd go one direction. And it was just wild. It was a crazy thing that uh, got totally out of hand. So in the next stud cast, uh, we're going to be in for three straight weeks, Mobile, Alabama's main arena. And uh, so because we're in this big building, the, these are all going to be special matches in all three of these events. So in the first of these three nights, uh, we're going to have not one cage match, but we're going to have two cage matches with uh, one with Joe and the Stomper and one with me and Rob against uh, Jimmy and Norvell. Two cage matches in one night. Had you ever done that before? Well, I'm not sure about other territories or whether any 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 place had ever done it. But in my recollection, this was the first time we had ever done it in southeastern Gulf Coast history. Mm. Was in Mobile on the on this following card, the one that's coming up next week. Mm. All right, so let's go to attendance for those three major cities for the week. How'd you do on that? Well, both Montgomery and Dothan were back over 5,000, man. They just, they, they, they was on fire. Business was really great. And, and Mobile uh, Expo Hall had its fifth sellout in a row. That was a record at this point. Five sellouts in a row. Uh, we drew over 16,000 fans in three nights. Uh, for cities the size of these three cities, you know, fairly small cities, especially Dothan, to be drawn like this was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and the, t- the territory was literally on fire. No doubt. That's a great one. And this has really been a great one. I'm sorry to say we're not going to have time for uh, to really get into a learning tree question today. You've already mentioned in this one some special things coming in next week's Studcast. So you want to tell us about where we're riding next week? Yeah, man. So... So we're going to have the final hidden history lesson about boxing and wrestling commissions. And the next one to me is going to be the worst example uh, ever of a way to handle a problem with, with one of these state boxing and wrestling commissions. Uh, uh, We're going to finish this lesson toward the end of the, it's going to take place this last one uh, toward the end of the 1900s with the owner of the largest wrestling company in the world, Vince McMahon Jr., is going to do the unthinkable, basically, Mm. to save himself a little money. uh, He's going to basically throw the sport underneath the bus, man. (laughs) uh, uh, Crazy. And uh, so so I've done my research, Dave, that that I've never done uh, in all these years. I wanted to find out exactly how this went down. I've done my research to find out the, this boxing and wrestling series, man, uh, gathering as many facts as possible in this situation. This has to do with New Jersey, the state of New Jersey. Hmm. And, to, and and I'm going to next week in the next show, I'm going to highlight the most egregious act in the history of the sport, I think. Wow. Are, are you going to tell us the story of Vince, McMahon, Vince McMahon's breaking 
kayfabe, I think you call it, and choosing more money over respecting and protecting wrestling. So this next stud cast could be really historic. You also mentioned something about being in the 10,000-seat Mobile, Alabama main arena for three straight weeks in a row. That had to be for something pretty special right there. It was, man. Uh, you know, in the next three stud casts, we're going to be uh, riding the momentum, basically, of the southeastern Gulf Coast territory in the early part of 1980, uh, where all this is headed toward a return of Harley Race uh, in this next three stud cast uh, with a record crowd. Wow. Uh, and the week after, next week, uh, the most popular wrestler in Southeastern, after all this and Harley's there and everything else, hmm. we're going to come back after that in the fourth week with the return of the most popular Southeastern wrestling star uh, ever, uh, who's going to be coming back uh, wearing a mask. Uh, it's hmm. uh, to, to what it's going to be at this point, probably the hottest wrestling territory for its size in the world. Oh, no doubt. It sounds like we're about to enter a time frame unlike any before in Studcast history. Can't wait for that. Hey, you, you guys know the deal. If you are Studcast fans, you can find Ron on Facebook at Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud. Like and follow him there. Automatically become friends with a legend. The same thing on Twitter, now known as X. Find him at Ron Fuller Welch. Follow him there too. You Listen, Ron takes comments, answers every comment. You can even send him a quick note and he'll try to get back with you uh, with an answer on that if you've got a question about these stud casts. It's fun to see the questions and the responses in a lot of cases on just the regular uh, the comments that are made on the the different social media. Hey, you can also check out the fantastic website at tnstud.com. tnstud.com. This studcast is going to be there this very one with every studcast ever done. Shop the stud store where you get 43 super studcast Four different 8x10 photos, the thrilling lion novel called Brutus, personally autographed to you if you like, and t-shirts still on sale, only $15.99 with free shipping. And subscribe now at YouTube Southeastern Rewind. Get the best in old school wrestling. Find 392 videos. The last 113 stud cast, 52 stud stories, 99 short rides with the stud, and now 13 great ask the stud question and answer shows. You can sit on the couch till you get stuck on the couch and still not see everything. All exclusively on YouTube Southeastern Rewind. Go to YouTube in the search box, put in Southeastern Rewind. It's the first one that comes up. It's the best deal in old school wrestling. All right. Ton of fun stud so far. Can't wait to do it again. Any last comments on this one? Well, yeah, as always, man, I want to thank everybody for joining us today and every day. Uh, and I certainly appreciate your support out there, all of you. And uh, please take care of yourselves and others and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud. LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. What?
This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.